in Revelation. And we've been looking at it from a different perspective and a different view. We've been looking at it saying, what is God trying to show us for our lives through words of accommodation and through pictures and images and the parables of revealing himself to us? And, and last week, I kind of took an overview picture of the whole thing, and I, I asked the question, what, what does Revelation mean, or what is our perspective from it? And, and I used this term, and I didn't like it, but I use it just because you understand what I'm saying when I say it, is what is his perspective for, or what should our perspective be for the end, like the end of time and whatnot. And, I, and the reason I say I don't really like that perspective is everybody's just looking how this thing ends. They're not really looking for the journey of fulfilling its purpose. Like the, wor- the purpose of the world. God didn't just make it and then we screwed it up and then he has to blow it up later. No, his, he's not done until his purpose is done. He's not done until the dominion of the earth, the multiplication of himself, and the union of relationship is fulfilled on the earth. And so... I, it was not a conclusive list, but I did go over a list of points. Instead of looking for the evil and the bad things that everybody looks for, of, oh, this thing has to be fulfilled and this bad thing or whatever. But in reality, I said, no, all of those things are just natural to this world. But what's not natural to this world is the kingdom of heaven. And that is what Jesus wants to bring into this world, is the supernatural And so we said, what is it that we are looking for? You know, every tongue, every people group, every tribe has to hear the gospel. We must be sealed with the mind of Christ that a a body of people comes out that are clothed with the righteousness and the mind of Christ that rule and reign with Jesus on this earth. That an equally yoked bride is prepared for him. We talked about some of those things and and we looked at some of those perspectives but now tonight I want to ask another question I want to ask what are you supposed to get from this what what is it that you're supposed to receive so we'll get to that in just a second but We've been going through and we've seen Jesus. And essentially what you're supposed to get in one aspect is a revelation of Jesus. Right? That's the overreaching understanding. You're supposed to get a revelation of who Jesus is currently now. And so we saw him glorified. We saw him walking among his churches, ministering to them. We saw him seated on a throne as the slain lamb we saw him releasing his will into our lives and breaking open the seven-sealed scroll, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. And then we see him as victorious king and the bridegroom coming to marry the bride. And we've been transversing that whole experience there. And that's a, that's a big picture idea that we need to receive. But you know... What he's trying to do with Revelation is to show us his plan for your life. 
when you get a when you get a hold of his revelation of who you are in him and what's so exciting is we see you know i said at the end we saw him marrying the bride and the 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 body that was made for him it speaks of the woman a a virgin bride ready to birth a man child you know what's interesting and this is kind of a rabbit trail this is not really what i want to go but you know it's interesting to me that when you look at the context of the church in Revelation and you see Jesus' purpose is that his purpose and his plan, one of them, is to create a group, a, 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 a people, a church, a body equally yoked with him, free and empowered. And if you really play that out in your mind, that means... Yes, you have an integral part of fulfilling Jesus' plan for this world, but so does the person next to you. Because you may not have realized it, but with the other perspectives of revelation and end times and whatnot, it is able to detach you from accountability of everyone else. Because, you know, generally it's okay, well... Lots of bad things are supposed to happen and, and the people are going to fall away and Satan's going to deceive everybody and they're all going to take the mark of the beast and then we, you know, we get sucked out of here and whatnot. All, whichever perspective you have, right? Of revelation in the end times. But the problem that that creates, and you'll hear most people talk about it, and we don't realize what we're doing, but they'll go, well, you know, things are going to get bad. I'm just going to try to do right and keep on going and and then Jesus will come back and take care of this. What that says is, well, I'm just going to worry about me and, and move on with my life and try to do right. And things are going to get bad, yeah, but I'll just be good so that I get sucked out, out of here. And, and you're able to go, well, I'm not concerned about anyone else. It's just, I'm just concerned about me. And so I'm going to take care of me. And I, I'm not saying that's that bad. You should worry about you. You shouldn't be, you know like in a bad way in everybody else's business or something like that. But you see what I'm saying is that you're, a, you're able to just sit back in your Christian lazy boy and go, well, things are just going to get bad, so I'll just take care of me, and they can all just go to hell in the handbasket. And, and you see that perspective. We'll just go hide out, and we'll just make it, right? But that doesn't make any sense, really, when you look at the kingdom, when you look at, you know, it was just like today, I was, I'm, I'm having to write a paper, and it's about the righteousness of God in Romans. And in Romans 3, Paul says, so if our, basically, I'm going to paraphrase, because, you know, the way Paul says things, <laughs> is he goes, if our unrighteousness unveils God's righteousness, then should we continue in sin? No, because his judgments are pure. And essentially what he's saying is, if God, who's perfectly pure and holy, and it's, he's righteous, and if we are sinful and it reveals God's sinfulness, then that would conclude that the more sinful we are, the more we get to see God's righteousness. So we can just sin all we want. And he says, no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> he's trying to define that to the people he's writing to. No. Yes, our, our unrighteousness reveals God's righteousness, but it's, if we become more unrighteous, it doesn't reveal God better. That's, 
He's saying, don't say, I'm not saying that with my words. He's trying to say that. So essentially with Revelation is that we say, well, if everything's supposed to get really bad and then Jesus comes back, then why wouldn't we encourage things to get really bad? If you work out your thinking, it has a negative result on the world around you. Because if, if that means if you really want Jesus to come back, well, just encourage everybody to be extremely sinful and terrible and let the world go burn, and Jesus will come back sooner. But we obviously know that that's not right. We are called to re, uh, bring the gospel to the whole world. We are called to be a light. And it says that the nations will come to us. That, and Jesus promised the churches that he sent a letter to, he's saying, if you will come back to your first love, I'll let I'll, your first love, I will let you disciple nations. So that's the context of we are actually supposed to be discipling nations and bringing the kingdom into this world. So obviously, we live in a fallen world and things and bad things happen. And it says that the righteous will be unrighteous and the righteous will be, continue to be righteous. That's, it's saying, yeah, it's going to be there. But in reality... What we should be saying is, no, we are trying to bring forth a body, a people, a church, pure and holy, empowered and free for Jesus. So that means, yes, you need to get a revelation of who you are and who Jesus is, but so does the person sitting next to you. They're important too. You should be concerned about, dude, what is Jesus doing in your life? How is Jesus being unveiled in you? The whole politically correct spirit of we can't, oh, can't address other people's problems. We're just going to dance around those. We get a, a messed up church that just wounds people on Monday through Saturday and Sunday. We try to clean it up. But in reality, if we all came to the result and the conclusion of I want you to be all that Jesus wants you to be and I want me to be all that Jesus wants me to be. So will you help me in your giftings and your callings that I don't have to help me become the person that Jesus is? So try to find something wrong with me because I want it gone so I can kill that sucker. Right? Instead of no, don't, that's, don't talk. That's my sin. Don't talk about that. You know? No, we're all in this for one purpose and one goal, is that Jesus would be unveiled in us and that we would become the bride of Christ, pure and holy and ready to marry him. So we actually need to stop having out-of-body experiences. And I'm not talking about angelic. We, you need to come into the body of Christ because that's the body Jesus is coming to save. So we need to stop hiding out and waiting for the world to fall apart and actually come together and to bring the kingdom into it. So that is free. I won't charge you for that. Um, but we've been talking about that very thing. And today I was sitting here thinking this week, I was like, you know, we're supposed to receive something, Revelation. It, it, it promises us, it's the only Bible, a book in the Bible, that promises you a blessing when you receive what this book is trying to tell you and you take care of the revelation. It literally means when you tend the garden of this revelation, you'll be blessed. Because it's going to grow something inside of you that is incredibly life-giving. And, and one aspect, at the very end of Revelation, at the very back of the book, Jesus is speaking about 
um, he's telling John here at the end, and I, I don't know, it's, uh, I wasn't really going to read it, but uh, Revelation 22, verse 18, if you want to know where I'm going to say, but I'm basically going to paraphrase it is that Jesus is saying at the end of this book, he says, hey, this testimony that I have given you, this prophecy, any person that takes away from it or adds to it, you know, all these plagues will come upon you. Like, it's a terrible thing, right? And, and I, I, want to say, I want to talk about that just for just a pinch of a second here because a lot of people, when they read that, they go, oh, you know, it's talking about the Bible, so you're not supposed to take any words or anything. You should just translate it and bam, that's it, right? Most people will tr uh, say that to you when talking about those things, which in reality, those people that are saying that don't really know how the Bible is translated. They don't know the process of it because in reality, when, you, when you're going through, what we are doing in translating is if you just did word for word, it would be unreadable, right? We kind of talked about this. It would be unreadable if you just word for word. And everyone's like, I just want word for word and nothing else because you're not supposed to take away or add. Well, you wouldn't even be able to read it if you did that. In reality is we are actually taking the meanings and the thoughts in those verses when translating that. And they're putting it in words for you to understand because it wasn't written in a language for you. Right? So it makes a big difference who's translating your Bible because their perspectives will come through when they're doing that. So... It's not talking about, oh, when you're translating it, everyone will quote that scripture. But in reality, I was thinking about this last night, is that what is Jesus saying? He's saying, don't take away or add to this revelation that I have given to you. And, and a lot of people, oh, if it's the end of the world or whatever, yeah, don't mess up the word. But in reality, the reason why is, or I should ask this question, is, is why is it so valuable to Jesus? that he would put this on here. Why is there so much value? I believe that there is so much value upon it because he paid a great price for it. Because what Revelation is trying to do is to paint the picture of you inside of him. And what he paid a great price for. He, it says that the lamb was slain to open the seven sealed scroll, which is you. He paid a great price for you. And he didn't just pay a great price so that you go to heaven. He paid a great price so that he could live inside of you and be fully alive and that you would unveil him to the world. So, essentially, let me say it in this way. Maybe to understand. Elaine, I need you to stand up for me. It's okay. You won't have to do nothing. Just stand right here. So, imagine... This is why I want you to understand what, he, what Jesus is saying. Imagine Elaine is standing right here. And Elaine, and who Elaine is, is perfect. Right? This is, the, this is the plan of Jesus. Right? Where she's fully free, fully cleansed, fully alive, fully empowered. The bride of Christ. Right? And what I'm going to do, and, if, let's, and I'm going to be over here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to write you a book about that end result Elaine that Jesus is paying for. And I'm going to paint, and I'm, what I'm saying is, all right, you may be, you know, imagine Elaine six years ago, and then Elaine perfect now, like, or something like that, okay? But six years ago, I wrote you this book about Elaine that you're seeing right now, because I got to see her. 
and she's perfect. And Jesus was unveiled in her, and the four horsemen came alive, and they, and they killed all of sin out of her, and now she is fully free, and it's amazing, and it's awesome, and that's what I paid for. So I'm going to paint a picture of it, and at the end of this book, I'm going to say, don't change that picture. Don't change what I paid for. Don't try to make her less than what I paid for. And don't try to make her more that she has to work for it and do other things. This person right here in the, the picture that I've painted you is what I want to do in your life. So don't change it. Okay, you can sit down. Wonderful job. Whew. Very stressful. So that's what Jesus is saying here at the end of the book. He's saying, don't change what I paid for. I paid the ultimate price. For this revelation because it says that this revelation will be done and this revelation is what Jesus got so that he could see what he was paying for it says that this revelation was given to Jesus by God and then Jesus gave it to you and I when did Jesus get this revelation well somewhere between 0 and 12 when he came to this earth <laughs> Because Jesus became a man and dwelt among men. And somewhere in there, he had to realize, the Holy Spirit had to show him. Because it says he had to grow in obedience and faith. Jesus had to grow into his calling. And the Holy Spirit had to show him. He had to give him identity and show him his purpose and his calling. And he said, you're going to live for these people so that you can live inside of these people and that you can bring yourself multiplied into this world and fulfill the plan of God. That's why you're on this earth. He got that revelation. Before 12, because when he was in the temple, he told his mother, didn't you know I'm about my father's work? Oh, he got a revelation of identity that Yahweh was his father. He got a revelation. And it was the revelation. This book is not called Revelations. It's only one. It's Jesus. So, tonight, what are you supposed to get from this? Because it's incredibly powerful when you realize what God is trying to say to you. I, I remember, or it reminds me of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was uh, a... I don't know if you'd call him a theologian practically, but a, a Christian. And during World War II, he was in a concentration camp and died in a concentration camp. But he wrote many, many uh, Christian uh, books and things, and he's an incredible man. And what's interesting is Dietrich was a German himself. And was he a German? Somewhere close. Either a German or one of those countries right there. Uh, and he was in... Uh, he came to America to study in college for uh, kind of like a seminary thing, religion, something like that, anyways. And when he was here, you see, in, in Germany, they just said, okay, you read the Bible, and what is it saying, and that's how you interpret it, right? What is it trying to say? But when he came to America, he got a new professor, and this professor said, we're going to take every verse that we find, and we're going to ask the question, what is God saying to me through that verse? For him, that was a totally new revelation of a thought. And it, it be, the Bible suddenly became personal to him. And then he also, um, in New York, uh, attended a 
a black congregation church and experienced the joy and excitement of the Christianity, and that really changed him too. But it, it, Diedrich Bonhoeffer went on to become one of these amazing men that would die for the gospel and, and, and stand up and speak against Nazism because he had a personal relationship with the word because it spoke to him. And so in the same way, you should be able to take this and say, what is this saying to me? Well, obviously, like I said, it, it paints a picture of who Jesus is and it is a revelation of Jesus. It should release hope into us and joy and peace and lead us into righteousness. That's the kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy. It should bring us into those things. It shouldn't depress us. It shouldn't bring us down. And I've talked about that. But you know what? One big part of Revelation that as I've been going through is that it should bring us into an incredible revelation of identity. It, it should... It should blow our socks off with identity. Because you need to get a revelation, not only of Jesus, but who you are to Him. You need to get rid of all the other weird things that have been put on you, and you need the freedom of the kingdom identity. That's what you need. And I want to just, I, I kind of made a list of things I want to just read you some of them. And you know, when I, when I read these to you, it's, it's easy just to hear them and go, oh yeah, that's who I am. But that's just taking it into your mind. It's not letting it become who you are. Right? We're not here to procure more information. We're to become a person. Right? Because I don't want you to just check it off. You could take every little sentence that I'm going to give you about who you are, you could spend years unraveling that and not just learning it, but actually learning to live it and it becoming a reality of what you believe about yourself, right? That's what the Word is supposed to do to us. It's supposed to create in us the reality of, I believe this about who I am. And any place that it cannot land nor become that, that, that is a place where a lie lives. And it hinders the truth from resting there. And it needs to be removed. And so, I just want to go through some of these things. It's just, and these, this is just like a list that I just was going through. And I was like, wow, there's just so much. You know, uh, Revelation 1.6 says that we are kings and priests. It says that, uh, and the one, to the one who has appointed us a kingdom of priests or king priests to serve his God and Father to him be glory and dominion you are a king and a priest that's your identity it's saying that you are created to rule and to reign with Jesus you have kingdom authority and you are a priest because you're supposed to serve in the temple of bringing forth the nations before God and that you also serve in the temple before the Holy of Holies. We saw the, the bowl of incense, which is the prayers of God's holy lovers, billowing up before him. That, that is the high priest's job of bringing the incense bowl. You're supposed to serve in the temple. 
in the end of Revelation, it says that those that are brought into the kingdom serve God night and day in His holy temple. Or another word for serve is worship. And so you are a king and a priest. You're not a dirty sinner. You're a king and a priest. You were a dirty sinner. Right? If you keep confessing over your life every single day, oh, I'm just a terrible, wretched sinner, guess what? You're going to be a terrible, wretched sinner. <laughs> because it says that you were those things. It's past tense. You are now the righteousness of Christ. It also says, here's a fun little snippet, you have a name that only you and Jesus knows. Did you know that? You got a little cool code word name between Jesus. That's uh, Revelation 2.17. And it says, To everyone who is victorious, I will let him feast on the hidden manna and give him a shining white stone. And written upon the stone is inscribed his new name, known only to the one who receives it. So you have a, a name that only Jesus and you know. I think that should be pretty cool. It says that when we live in victory in our daily lives, we will receive Jesus as the morning star. That's Revelation 2, 28. Even as I have also received authority from the presence of my Father, I will give the morning star to the one who experiences victory. What it's saying is, this is what's so cool. Instead of putting everything off in the millennium or in heaven, the context is actually saying, for you that live in victory in your daily life, you will actually be rewarded with Jesus as the morning star. That's pretty awesome. And that's not for you just in heaven. That's for you today. Jesus loves to reward his children. Jesus is ready to reward you with himself. And so there is an understanding. Guys, yeah, there's addictions, there's problems, there's faults, there's patterns, there's these things. But he's saying if you will actually live in victory in your own life now, you will receive a greater measure of who I am. That excites me and encourages me to press on. Right? Most people are just trying to survive to heaven. But in reality, Jesus is saying, you can have me now. It says, again, if we live in victory, God will acknowledge our, names, our name to God and the angels. Essentially, you can have a reputation in heaven. That's Revelation 3, 5. And the one who experiences victory will be dressed in white robes. And I will never, no, never erase your name from the book of life. I will acknowledge your name before my Father and his angels. That's pretty cool. That means you, in your life right now, can, be, can have a reputation in heaven. We are seated in heavenly places right now. But in your life that you live, imagine, Jesus is probably walking, okay, this is going to be funny. Jesus is probably walking around, right? And he's like, hey, hey, Gabriel, come here, come here. And did you, have, you, have you seen Ryan lately? That guy's killing it down there. <laughs> guy's doing it you know have you seen Dawson dude that guy's walking in some faith like think about it you know there are you have giftings and you have things that you are strong in and you know what 
Jesus celebrates those things. And you can have a reputation in heaven. Man, I love the way that person worships, dude. And he's telling God and the angels about what you're doing down here. You can have a reputation in heaven. So when you get there, the angels are like, man, I've always wanted to meet you. <laughs> you walked in so much faith. Man, I loved the joy that you had. Like, that was recognized up here. Like, that's pretty cool. That's, and he says that he was, does that. And in Revelations 3.12, it says that we, will, we have the name of God written on us the new Jerusalem, and the name of Jesus. It says, For the one who is victorious, I will make you to be a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, permanently secure. I will write on you the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, descending from my God out of heaven, and I will write my own name on you. So you have a secret name that only Jesus and you, you know. That's between you two. But then you also have names. You have Yahweh God. You have the New Jerusalem. And you have Yeshua Jesus written on you. So, so, you know, you got your secret names. And then you also have your big names. That everywhere you go, all of, all of the heavenly angels and all of the demons of hell all go, whoo, he's labeled. <laughs> You better not touch that one. He's got the marks on him, right? It's translating, okay? Tattooed, marked, branded. Everybody wants to use different things. I'm not getting into the tattoo thing right now. <laughs> but yes, yeah, some things say he, Jesus has uh, faithful and true tattooed on his thigh, but whatever. All those fun things. But I think that's pretty interesting. You know, if, if you're... If you take a box and you put a bunch of valuable things inside of it and you're going to go put it somewhere, you're probably going to label it what it is. So it's, this is God, the New Jerusalem, and Jesus. There you go. That's pretty cool. That's you. You are the New Jerusalem that is coming into this world from heaven. You are the inhabitant. Like when it talks about the New Jerusalem and it gives you the measurements and it says that there's no temple there because God resides in the city. So that's you. You are that temple. Uh, let's see. We are seated on Jesus, uh, or seated with Jesus on his throne. Revelations 3.21. And to the one who conquers, I will give the privilege of sitting with me on my throne, just as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. That's an incredible uh, promise. He's saying if you'll live in victory and if you'll conquer... Because I paid for you to be victorious overcomers. I'm going to seat you on my throne. My power and my authority will be upon you. There is a context of measure there that you got to earn some trust from the king of kings. Right? You are claimed and bought, but you have to grow into your sonship. And not only do you grow into your sonship, but you you grow in authority and power and are seated with him when you walk out the principles and the lifestyle of victory and love in your life. Not everybody that calls himself a Christian and a follower of Jesus is the same authority. 
He's saying, if you will live victorious, I'm going to seat you on my throne. So you're not earning it. There's nowhere in Revelation where you have to earn God's love. There's nowhere you have to perform. There's nowhere you have to make it. You are already loved, bought, paid for, freed, and ready. You don't have to earn anything. You have to partner with him in the plan for your life. This is a joyful, exciting journey you're on. You don't have to do this on your own. You just have to let Jesus do it in you and partner with his plan. But he wants to seat you in his authority. So, uh, Revelation 4, verse 6 through 8 is kind of a good picture, is that we are being made into the personality of Jesus. Revelation 4 is talking about the four creatures holding up the throne of God. And we talked about how each one of those is actually a stage and a revelation of who Jesus is. It's the ox, it's the man, it's the lion, and it's the eagle in flight. And we talked about that's a whole other thing we could spend a lot of time on. But it's, it's the process of Jesus bringing you into his, the, his personhood, his his uh, personality, his lifestyle, and his victory. And it's, it's all painting a picture of you. He wants to make you like him. Right? So, stop claiming the things that God has said he's killed. Right? Uh, we, we talked about we are the seven-sealed scroll that he paid a great price for. We are the 144,000 sealed with the mind of Christ. 144,000. 12 times 12 times 1,000 that he's saying, hey, I want to multiply in an immeasurable amount of people sealed with the mind of Christ to bring the fullness of myself into this world. You are that 144,000. He wants you to come through the process of of having a revelation of who he is and that it would seal your mind and your actions, that you would govern and judge with him, with his with his thoughts towards people. Um, Revelation 20, verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones, and those who sat on them were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and the word of God, uh, for the word of God. And it talks about that they were uh, marked on their foreheads. But it says, I saw thrones, and those... We were sitting on, sat on them. We were given authority to judge. And basically, without getting into much depth, is that the judges are coming back to the earth. It promises that the judges of old, as in the Old Testament, are coming back. And not that they bring condemnation and hate towards people or anything like that. You need to reiterate the idea of judges. But in reality, what the judges did is they freed people from condemnation. They released love. They released freedom. They ripped down the idols and the acts of sin, but they actually brought forth the favor of God upon people and nations. You are supposed to rule and reign with Jesus, with the mind of Christ, that you actually are able to bring the favor of God back onto communities and nations and people groups and peoples and individuals. And... That's kind of a a deep thought at times when we really get into that. And lastly, the bride. You are the bride of Christ. Paul says, I want to present you as a virgin bride to Jesus, saying that you are pure and holy and prepared for him.
Because, and it talks about, in Revelation 21, verse 2, it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of the heavenly realm from the presence of God like a pleasing bride that has been prepared for her husband, adorned for her wedding. You are, being, you are the bride of Christ. He wants to marry you. Um, and there's many other things. But all of this, and these are just, this is just in Revelation. You know, the, the Bible is full of you getting a, uh, an identity of who you are in Him. And like I said, nowhere in Revelation does it want you to perform or try to earn this stuff. It's always saying that it's already bought for, it's already ready. You have to step into it and get the revelation of it. It's, it's not saying, oh man, you just need to be better in your life. This is not a, this is not a, a gospel of condemnation and not a, a gospel of bondage. Right? We've had too many people try to perform themselves into Christianity and not be transformed. Right? And so, imagine with me, instead of us just surviving and making it, that we actually bring forth the kingdom into this world and that the entirety of the world is covered in His glory because we're everywhere. Right? Let this paint a picture for you of what a believer and a sealed one in Christ is supposed to be. See, instead of, instead of you trying to make it, what if it's that we are adorned with power and authority and love of God? And that we have been unlocked into our destinies and we have our own giftings and our own callings. But imagine with me, it says that every nation, every tongue, every people group, every tribe will hear the gospel and will hear the word of God. That when we walk into cities or when we walk into neighborhoods or we walk into villages or we walk into wherever it is that we understand our standing with Christ and in Him that we are able to bring freedom from every demonic stronghold that we bring forgiveness for every sin that we release the ability for God to pour out His Spirit on places it says in the end of Revelation that every curse and every sin will be gone. And I'm saying, what if we get a revelation that we are seated in heavenly places, that we can intercede on the world's behalf for them because they don't know it? Instead of us sitting, sitting back and saying, oh, they're just terrible sinners, just strike them down, God. But in reality, we're going, I'm going to intercede on their behalf that favor would be brought upon them and that they would come into the kingdom of God. And it says that we don't fight against flesh and God, blood, but against principalities and powers and that we understand, just ask any person in Africa, that there are areas, regions, and places that are owned by demonic spirits, that are owned by curses and bondages and ties to things. But what if... We understood that the blood of Jesus sets everyone free and that we are the ones that go out into the world and that we free the world into its destiny. That when we walk into neighborhoods, houses, villages, nations, cities, that we are the fulfillment of Jesus. If Jesus walked into that person's life, would they be free? Yes, then that's what you are supposed to bring into that place. And what if we had the wisdom of Jesus to walk in and say, 
By the blood of Jesus, we're going to free every, break every curse off this place. By the blood of Jesus, we are going to banish every demonic stronghold. By the blood of Jesus, we are going to forgive every sin. That we are going to release these people groups, release these nations, release our neighbors, release our cities into God's purpose. That we understand if the demonic stronghold owns this place, that if we bring freedom to that place, the Holy Spirit's going to come in and the kingdom will come alive. I, am, I, am, I remember as I'm sitting here talking, I, I think about Henry Groover. If you don't know him, you should. Because he's a prayer walker and he goes about and, and, and Jesus has made it his ministry to bring forgiveness for innocent shed blood on areas and places. He'll go to neighborhoods. He'll go to islands out in the Philippines. He'll go all, he's been all around the world. And by, by bringing forgiveness for innocent shed blood... It will transform communities and nations. He's seen place, uh, neighborhoods that were totally abandoned and in destruction. And we would walk in and he would bring forgiveness for those sins. Then suddenly, the, and he would release the Holy Spirit that life would come and new buildings would come. And, and people would be transformed in that place. And the Holy Spirit would be free because there's no more hindrances there. What if we walked in the authority that we see in Revelation and in the power that when we walk in, all of hell trembles? You see, we need to stop waiting for the second coming of Jesus, which is never said in the Bible. Jesus is coming into this world currently through you, has come before and continues to arrive. I believe in an actual physical coming of Jesus, but I, it's not just two times. It's every single day. Jesus comes into this world every day you get out of bed. Every day you get out of bed and you walk outside, Jesus just walked into the world. And so all of hell should be shaking in fear. And so what if we became the Christians that Jesus paid for? That everywhere we go, freedom, life, resurrection, and healing would follow us. That we would no longer be bound to just trying to earn it, but that we would walk in the calling that we have already been given. This is what Revelation is supposed to bring us into. And this is just a glimpse. And the last thing I want to say, really, as I'm giving you this, is that I'm calling you to incredible favor. I'm calling you into a place of saying that, no, I don't want you to live in false humility anymore. There's a lot of false humility in the church, and that is where, well, if we make ourselves feel bad and talk bad about ourselves, that must mean we're humble. But just because you bash the painting of a great artist does not mean that, oh, you're humbling them. No, you're, you're disgracing a beautiful painting. Talking bad about what Jesus paid a great price for does not help the situation. That's not humility, that's self hatred. But in reality, I want you to come into your calling and to realize how incredibly loved, favored, and powerful you are in Jesus. And humility is understanding that that's who you are, but lowering yourself anyways. By saying, well, I'm not, I'm going to not think less of myself. I'm not going to devalue me. I'm just going to, 
not put myself first, that I'm going to lay my life down for others as Jesus did. That's humility. Because in Revelation what we see is you know who's seated on the throne and who is able to release the seven sealed scroll? It's the little lambkin that was slain. It literally says lambkin. That's the word for it. A little baby lamb. Now, we don't actually worship like a little baby sheep. But in reality, it's painting a picture of the attitude and personality that Jesus rules the universe. He rules from a place of humility and lowliness and gentleness and kindness. He's incredibly powerful. He has all authority on heaven and earth. But he rules with humility. He rules as a lambkin. And so I want you to get a revelation of your identity in Jesus, but I don't want you to become proud because of it, which can happen. I just want you to be free in who you are, and then you walk in the humility that Jesus rules the entire universe with. That's what we're called to. Incredible humility with an incredible power. That's who you are. Jesus has already shown us that way. Amen. Amen. I don't know how to... I can't add to that. Because I feel that that is our calling. Is to be known as humble people with incredible power. That is our calling. That's what Revelation is trying to paint for you. And so, all condemnation, all shame, all bondage, all of those things need to go away. Because that's not the kingdom.